It's a great day out here on Pensacola Beach, Vision Sunday. So we've got a lot of cool stuff to share and to go through together. Um, hopefully on your way in, uh, you grabbed one of these annual reports. If not, we have them available for you uh, to check out all that God has done through you in 2022 and so it's it's pretty incredible and it took weeks really to get it down to to what you see in the annual report and so for every everything that's in here there's at least two things that that's not and so uh man you've been busy this year had a lot a lot going on and so uh check it out you can you can see kind of um what all god has done uh, in this fiscal year and what we're really believing God to do in the next 12 months. And so uh, today, Vision Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays of the year for a lot of reasons, but I like talking about vision because uh, I think we, I think our lives run on vision. When we lose the, the vision for the future, when we lose and vision, it's kind of simple. It's not, it's not like a, you know, that you've got one of those magic balls and you can see the future. But vision is being really in touch with the current reality, and it's it's having a preferred future. And so I think everybody, if I if we were sitting down talking, having coffee, you have a a vision in your mind of what you would like your life to look like in 12 months, whether you've written it down or not, or what you would like your family. Uh, you know, how you would like to see your, your family grow in the next 12 months or what you would like to see in the community in the next 12 months. Everybody has some kind of preferred future, but oftentimes it's really hard to get to it because stuff happens. <laughs> Right. Like I remember 2020, I had some big vision. You know what I mean? I had a big vision like we had big goals. And I think everyone's vision kind of got rearranged in 2020. You know what we thought was going to happen. And then each year, I think we've seen things begin to get uh, a little bit back to normal. But but there's been a lot that's happened over the last two years. And what I love about God is is that if we can roll the clock for 10 years, if somebody invented like a time travel machine, and maybe they already have, I don't know. If we could go 10 years ahead in the future, guess who's going to be there? God. And if we could go back 10 years, guess who's going to be there? If somebody had a time machine and we could get in it and go back, God is going to be there. And when we talk about vision, again, it's not so much about seeing the future, but it's really having a clear picture of where we are and where you are. And so a few things I want to give you just to, to, to really, I think that helps with it when it comes to vision is, is you see it every time you get in a car. You know, the windshield compared to the rearview mirror, very different. <laughs> the rearview mirror is tiny, right? Because you're not supposed to be staring at that thing most of the time. It's just for, you know, I, I try not to look in it at all. I don't care who's behind me, right? In the state of Florida, you hit, if you hit me from, like, you hit somebody in the rear end, it's your fault no matter what. So who cares what's going on behind you, right? But, but there's this big, massive, clear, uh, you know, um, windshield that, that we're, that's where we're supposed to spend most of our time looking out of, is what's in front of us. And so just for a moment, I want you to, you know, think about your life and, and, and where you've been will a lot of times kind of, it's going to give you at least a little bit of a gauge of where you're going. But today, for a few moments, I just want to dream a little bit. Look into the future. Uh, what is God going to do through you? What is God doing through our church? And, um, and you know, the last five years, I went back and looked at my notes from the last five years, and we've, we've done a Vision Sunday um, since we began as a church, 2017. And every year at the, at the top of, the, of my notes, there's always been this, 
We're praying for, praying for permanence, <laughs> praying for a, a, our own building, and, and, and we've moved since 2017. A lot of you remember we were in the marina for a while, uh, for a few years, and then we did both for a good solid two weeks in March of 2020. That was the vision. I got, you know, I said, we're going to be one church, two locations, and, and uh, that didn't happen. You know, uh, we got two great weeks of it, um, and then the sky fell, and everything changed, and, uh, and but... Uh, and so I've noticed that's been at the top of my list uh, for many years. And I, I, I want to say, and I want to let y'all know, we are closer to that than we've ever been. Ever been. Um, because of your generosity, this year alone, we've saved over $600,000 towards a permanent location. And so we've got, a, uh, we've got a good amount of resources that when the time comes, we're, we're ready to, uh, to make a move. And, and then we've got some really good opportunities that we're looking through right now. Uh, and so I'm, I'm expecting, I'm, I'm believing, I really can't say much more than that, but I, I really believe we're closer than we've ever been. And, um, but this year I, I got to visit with a, a local, local priest, many of you probably know who he is, Monsignor Hunt. Um, he's been in this area for, for uh, 40, 40 years, I believe. He has been the, um, the, the, the head uh, priest at uh, not St. Andrew, St. Anne's Catholic Church here locally. That's, they're right across the street here, too. They have a, a beach campus as well. And um, we were walking around the, the campus there in Gulf Breeze. And the, it's beautiful if you've never been there. Many of you, uh, maybe you've been there for a graduation or something like that. And uh, we're just walking around, and I'm just thinking, man, you know, the Catholics know how to build buildings. I mean, they, I mean, there's a fountain in the foyer, like, I mean, this is nice, and, uh, you know, just beautiful, and, and, uh, and, and we're, you know, I'm just asking him, how did this start? You know, he's like, well, when I showed up, it was just one little building, and we built this, and, and then we built this, and then we built this, and, and right before he let me go, we were right outside of his office, he said, Nathan, let me tell you, I want you, you got to hear this. He said, building a building is easy. Building a community is hard. And what I've known and what I've seen in the last five years of Upper Room Church is there's been an incredible community that's been built here. People that love each other, people that will lay their lives down for each other. And that's what I first experienced when I walked into a church for, the, for really the first time. I was raised Catholic, and then I ran the other way as hard as I could for about a decade. And around 20 years ago, it was right around this time, 20 years ago, I washed up at the altar of some church in Pace. And I had probably, the, it was one of the worst times of my life. I was made some terrible decisions that put me in a really bad place. And all I remember from that experience was I, I, remember, I knew I needed a change. I had about lost my life the night before. And everybody that I thought was my friend didn't help me. <laughs> And so the only place I needed to turn was the church. And I called my cousin, who I knew went to, this, to church. I said, hey, I got to get to church. He came and picked me up, and he took me to this church in Pace. And all I remember is, is I walked in, and, and it felt like family. I didn't look like anybody in the building. Everybody, in the, nobody had long hair, right? And uh, nobody was wearing, board, you know, a pair of uh, a sweater and a pair of board shorts and sandals uh, in winter. But that's, that was my, that was my, uh, that's what I had to wear. So that's what I wore. But I'll never forget coming down and, 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 and just the people that got around me and prayed for me. I'll never forget it. Half of them were saying, hold on. The other half were saying, let go. Uh, you know, but I, I mean, but there's somewhere in between. Um, I knew that my life was different. 
And what I, I will never forget about that, that experience for me was I got invited to lunch after church. I got invited to people's houses to hang out. And, and up until that point, I felt like I was kind of alone and I didn't really have any help. But that church made me feel like I was the only person on the planet that morning. People stayed late because I needed a lot of prayer. Like we shut the church down. You know how they start turning lights off? They turn the mute, they'll start running the vacuum in the back. You know, like, like y'all need to leave. You know what I'm saying? We shut the church down that morning, and there was just, just, I just felt so surrounded by so many. And not many, not hardly anyone knew who I was, but they treated me like I was family. And if I could dream about Upper Room Church and going into the future, my dream would be this that I, I see a church where every person matters. Every person matters. If they're a Democrat, they matter. If they're a Republican, they matter. If they dress the way you dress, they matter. If they don't, guess what? They matter. If they're mean, they matter. If their sexual preference is not the same as yours, guess what? They still matter. And our first call is to not convert people. Our first call is to love people. And when we love people well, God works out the details. But our call is to not make converts. Our call is to love the people around us. And sometimes we get it backwards. Sometimes we make it about numbers, and we make it about checking a box, and we make it about all this other stuff than just to love the person in front of us. A lawyer stood up in Luke chapter 10, and he asked Jesus a loaded question. Have you ever been asked a loaded question? He said, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Jesus said, well, what do you think it is? And this lawyer knew his stuff. He, he, right back, he said, I think it's this. I think it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, hey, guess what? You've answered right. Go do this, and you'll live. You'll find life if you do that. Again, loaded question. Lawyer's looking for a loophole. He said, well, hang on, Jesus, before I go, who's my neighbor? <laughs> who do I need to love? <laughs> who, 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 are, who am I supposed to love? Am I supposed to love the, the people that look like me and dress like me and go to the same places that I go to and like the same music I like and eat the same food that I eat? Because that's easy to do. So the lawyer is looking for a loophole and he's looking for a way out. Because I think this whole life is about it's like a lesson in love. That we're learning how to love those that aren't like us. We're learning how to love those that don't like us. We're learning how to love our enemies, which is like incredibly hard to do. And so, so this, this lawyer, what he was really asking is, Jesus, who are the people that I need to care about? <laughs> who, are, who are the people that I really need to be invested in? Because um, you know, there's certain people that I don't like and there's certain people that I don't get along with and, and, and I really don't want to love those people and I don't really want to reach out to those people. And then Jesus tells this story about the Good Samaritan. Beautiful story. And, and, and so there's this guy laying on the side of the road and the priest and the Levite see him kind of bleeding in a ditch, but they had, they had to get to church or, or maybe the, the priest had to give the, the, um, the sermon that morning. And so he couldn't stop and he had to go and he was busy. But then there was a Samaritan. 
And what I, I love about that story is that the Samaritan didn't really do anything incredible or great. He didn't do anything the priest or the Levite couldn't have done. But what he did, what he did first was he noticed that, that man. He's seen him. And I'm, I feel that our call as Christians is not so much to love and to serve the people that look like us and talk like us and that everybody sees, but, but our real call is to go to the person that nobody sees, that, that everyone has walked past, that nobody notices anymore because they sit up on the corner every day and they have the same sign and they ask for the same stuff and it's just getting easier to drive by every single time. And what I'm finding in this church and in the people that are in this church is they don't do that. <laughs> you have loved not only your neighbor, but you've loved those across the bridge. You've loved those across uh, the, the community so well. And that's why we, we do things like milk and honey and we invest in, in some of the siloed communities. Because we don't really have to get on a plane to love someone that's been overlooked. You can get in your car and go over two bridges and there's thousands that nobody cares about, nobody's really thinking about, no churches are coming in trying to plant and reach these folks, but you have done that so well this year. You provided Christmas for dozens of milk and honey children last year and you're doing it again this year. You provided Thanksgiving for families in the inner city of Pensacola that couldn't afford it. You did it last year, you're doing it again this year. And what I'm starting to see in my life is we can't reach people that we don't love. And it's really hard to love someone that you don't see. And proximity creates passion. And just getting around other people that aren't like us, that don't talk like us, that maybe don't have the same, they didn't come from the same side of the tracks and they don't live the same way that we live, that, that's exactly where God is calling us to go. And so I hope we can continue to do that um, into next year and in even greater ways. That, that the measure of a church, a pastor told me one time, one of the wisest pastors I've ever sat down with, he said, this is how you measure the impact of a church. If you were to just shut your doors and your church was to cease to exist, would anybody in the community notice? Or would there be an empty building on Sunday? And I want you to know that the impact that you've made, hundreds, if not thousands of people would notice. Because of you. And doing things that, you know, reaching out to those that are different and reaching out to those that, that, that maybe we don't even notice. And, and I'm so glad that I've showed up into a church 20 years ago that noticed someone different than them. And didn't judge me, but they loved me. And there was a lot of things about me they could have judged, okay? Let me just say, I mean, eyebrow rings and all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, there was a, a lot of things about me they could have judged. I mean, I was, I was a little wild, okay? But they, they didn't do that. They showed me what it was like to be a part of a family. I can see a church, and I see a church where every single person matters, and we don't overlook anyone because I believe that's God's heart. And so as we move into the future, I think we got to get bigger and we got to get smaller at the same time. We're going to make room for more people. We have a good problem. Some Sundays we're out of room, and that's a good thing. But the church can't just get bigger. The church has to get smaller as well. 
And this last year, incredible. We've had the most amount of people in groups than we've ever had as a church. Close to 400 people were involved in some kind of small group. And so we're going to continue to push that. And I know you probably get tired of me talking about it, but it's, it's the only way for the church to get bigger and smaller at the same time. Because we learn in rows, but we grow in groups. And so we've seen groups really expand over the last 12 months. It was something that has been a, a, a real prayer and, and a goal of ours as a church since we started. We want to have more people in groups than we had on Sundays. And we finally made it. And, and so I'm, I'm really excited to announce that. And, and you can see it in, our, in the annual report. 25 or so different kinds of groups that met all over the city, all, on the beach, in Gulf Breeze. And so we're going to continue to do that. And I want to encourage you, if you've never led a group, maybe this is the year to try it. Then maybe this is the time, you know, or to step out in faith. That's something that we can all do. And it's amazing what God does when we step out in faith. And it, it, just, just taking that one step, it, it, it's, you know, some people are really uncomfortable coming into a church, but they'll meet at a coffee shop or they'll go to someone's house. Or they'll meet on the job. If you, you know, so there's all these different ways to do that. And so this has just been an incredible year where we've seen growth in those areas. And so the, the other piece, I, I see a church that, that sees every person, that where every person matters. But then the second piece of, I think, who we are as a church and, and, and the, what we want, really want to live into is, is we see it illustrated in, in the story known as the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, and so in that chapter, there's, it's, it's kind of the lost chapter. There's a lost coin, there's a lost sheep, and then there's a lost son. And so the last story, the whole chapter is about finding things that are lost. And so the last story is about this man that had two sons, and one son was a little wild, a little rough around the edges, and he was the youngest. And he went to his dad and said, hey, dad, I'm ready to be on my own. Go ahead and write that inheritance check and let me go. I don't, I, I'm, I'm done with the rules. I don't really want to be under your, your house, in your house anymore. And so he writes him the check, and, and the son goes out, and he goes to Vegas, and he loses everything. I mean everything, right? He, 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 he loses it all, and then he ends up at the very bottom of the barrel with nothing left. And it says that he was, worked for some other person taking care of, of pigs. So he's working on a farm, and, and he, gets to, he gets so low in his life that he almost eats the pig's food. That's pretty low. <laughs> and then he has this aha moment. But this is what I want you to catch. In his mind, he was making this apology up to go and talk to his dad about because he thought his dad was mad. Rightfully so. I mean, imagine if one of your children came to you and said, I really don't want to wait on my inheritance. I, I want to I have it now, and, and then I'm, we're going to separate. It's almost like you're kind of a living, living death in a lot of ways. It had to be hard on the dad. And so the son's thinking, I can't come back as a son. I've got to come back as a servant. And so he's, he's getting his, his apology worked up in his mind. And as he's heading back to the father's house, it's a beautiful story, it says that the dad was waiting on the porch for him. 
And he come, comes running out into the field and meets his son and puts a ring on his finger to signify to everybody in the community that my son is home and he's still in the family, almost like a family crest kind of thing, letting everyone know that he's, he's, he's right back in the role that he left from, put a robe on him. But this is what I want you to notice. You got the younger son, and usually the prodigal son, the story, you just talk about him. We just talk about that. We like to beat up on the younger son, right? It's the obvious. He made, most, he made all the mistakes. It's kind of, in my Bible, it says the prodigal son. But I want to tell you there were two prodigal sons. Because the older brother, just sitting over there quiet, and he watches his younger brother come home, and he watches his dad just embrace him and, and throw the ring on him and the robe, and then they, they take the fattest cap, and they have a, he just throws a party for him. And the whole time, his older brother is just getting mad. How many of you have met somebody like that? That, that, that when you get blessed, it, it makes them, it aggravates them. Don't look over if they're with you. Not everybody's happy when God blesses your life. But I want you to see what the father does. Luke 15. The older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he was just getting more and more mad. So he called one of the servants and said, what's, what's going on here? Can't you just like see the, I mean, what's, what's going on here? Well, your brother came home, and your father killed the, the fattest calf, and we're having a party because he's safe and he's back home. Look at verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father had to go out and plead with him. So we have two sons. One was lost outside of the house. The other son was lost in the house. He kept all the rules. He came to church every time the lights were on. His name was probably on the building somewhere. He did it all right. First year that we were at church, I'll never forget this, and I've been waiting to tell this story, and I wanted to wait five years because they don't go to our church anymore, and so I'm about to tell it. <laughs> I get some incredible experiences after church. People, I love talking to people and hearing what God's doing in their life, and this, this, this one lady waited and waited and waited, and I could tell she was waiting on me. And I, you know, I talked to, you know, talked to lots of people that morning and we were at the marina and and uh, she was back there in a chair and I could just see it on her face like okay something's wrong <laughs> and so I, I I I go back and we talk and she sits down as serious as she could be she said pastor do you know that there's people in leadership at the church that have tattoos like all over them <laughs> serious as she could be and I thought in my mind, well, you got ugly all over your face, and we let you in here. So, but I can't say that, okay? See, I can't say that. And so, so again, I've been waiting to tell this story. And now this wasn't just any person. They could have really made my life very miserable, and I won't go into details why. But I thought about the older brother in that moment. And for a long time, when somebody was like kind of super religious like that, I didn't have a lot to say to them. And honestly, in my mind, I thought, well, they're not, that's, for, that's somebody else's job there. 
I'm going after the prodigal in the pig pen, all right? The prodigal in the house, somebody else could take care of those religious, us four no more frozen chosen folks, okay? Don't, I don't even want to talk to them. But I want you to catch this. We need the Father's heart back in the church. And what is the Father's heart? The Father's heart is this. The Father's heart pursues the prodigal when they're making a mess of their life and they plead with the religious person who just wants to look down their nose at everybody when they come to church and make themselves feel better about their lives. Come on, somebody. That wants to find what's wrong with people, that wants to try to disqualify people or say, hey, you can't come to church and look like that or you can't come to church and have tattoos or you can't come to church and dress like that. you got to have a suit and tie to come to church. I went to a church like that. And so I asked the pastor, I said, why do you got to have a suit and tie to come to church? By the way, he bought me suits and ties. So, so, yeah, so he, he, bought, he literally, the pastor bought me some suits and ties because I didn't have any. And so I asked him one day, I said, well, why do you got to have a suit and tie on to come to church? I really want to know. He's like, well, you want to have your best on when you come before God. And I said, well, that makes sense. So do you put your suit and tie on before you pray at night? That's what I asked him, you know, and so he just looked at me, gave me a gift card to S&K, said, go buy you some suits, son, get out of here with that. The father's heart should be in the church, not your father's heart, the father's heart. See, we don't like talking about fathers a lot of times because everybody has a, a picture of a, of a father, and, and a lot of times it's not, you know, nobody had a perfect dad in this room. Everyone in here, you might have had a good dad, but you didn't have a perfect dad. But when we read the Bible, we're not talking about a good father. The Bible doesn't describe a good father. It describes a perfect father who goes after the prodigal, but he pleads with the elder brother. He's waiting on the prodigal to come home, sees all the mess that he made with his life, but he still loves him, and he's still watching, and he's still waiting. And at the same time, he's pleading with the older brother to not be so religious and not be so judgmental. And, 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 and go ahead and let, the, you know, you can't clean the fish before you catch them. Come on, somebody, right? You just throw the net and you pull it in. And so you've got this father who loves his children, whether they're super religious or not religious at all we need that in the house more than we've ever needed it before we need the father's heart and what I'm finding in my life is you may not be able to define a perfect father but you can experience it and when we come to God that's that's what we experience this embrace and this love and and this just like like I've never encountered in my whole life and I hope that's what people feel when they come here. And it has nothing to do with the building. And it has nothing to do with the color of the walls or how we do the songs that we sing. I mean, all those things are important. It has everything to do with having the Father's house, Father's heart in his house. And so I see a church. I dream of a church that has the Father's heart that loves people no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no, no, no matter just that's the goal, <laughs> to love people well. Has the Father's heart. I see a church that knows its purpose. 2020 hit, 2021. They called 2021 the year of the great resignation. Did you read that? 
Lots of people quit their jobs. <laughs> Lots of people changed careers. Lots of people thought, you know what? I've been doing this every day for 20 years, and I don't think I want to do this anymore. And some of you have, have you've switched careers or, or maybe you went back to school. And so Time Magazine and New York Times and, and Wall Street Journal, they all have articles, you can Google it, called The Great Resignation. But what I think people were really after was not so much that they were quitting bad jobs or quitting bad bosses, but they were really after purpose. Because I think that's what really hit hard over the last couple of years is it put life in perspective and I think it made us all realize that we're not promised tomorrow. <laughs> and maybe it seemed good to pursue a career for a while because of benefits and what it paid, or because it seemed interesting, or because maybe mom and dad did it, or somebody encouraged me to do it. But I think what we've seen is this great reset, not so much the great resignation, but I would call it the great realignment. Where people looked at their life and they said, you know what, I don't think I want to do this forever. I think there's more to life than paying bills, going to work, and then taking a dirt nap. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, like there's got to be more. And what I love about the Bible is it speaks so much to purpose. Like the first place where I think we should start when it comes to finding our purpose is with God. And I, if I can see a church, if I can dream for a little bit, I, I see a church where every person knows their purpose. You know what you're here for, you know what you're here to do, that you're not kind of walking around with these big question marks over your life, like, well, I don't know if this is what God's called me to do, I don't know what I'm, and there's seasons where we go through that, but I believe God wants you to know your purpose more than you want to know it. And that's, I love talking about gifts, and I love talking about purpose, because I find in my, in, in my experience, when somebody finds their purpose, everything else kind of works itself out. The stuff that maybe you're trying to get rid of or stuff that you're trying to, goals in your life. If you can start stepping into your purpose and know what that really is, all that stuff just seems to work out when we know what we're here to do. And so there's a difference. There's a difference between our purpose and our assignment. Because a, a lot of times we, we, you know, we take our job and we make that our purpose. <laughs> if you're sitting in the airport and you have small talk with someone, what's the first question they're going to ask you? What do you do? Because <laughs> we connect what we do to our purpose. But again, we have a purpose and we have an assignment. And what happens in life is our assignment changes over and over and over. My assignment has changed over and over and over and over, but my purpose has remained the same. For a while, my assignment was to work at Pepsi. And I did that for about a decade, and it was awesome. I learned a lot. Had Bible studies. I got to pray at Christmas parties. Like, I felt like I was kind of pastoring while I worked at Pepsi. I wasn't, though. But it led me to the next thing. Before that, I worked at a restaurant. The owner's here this morning. I shucked oysters, y'all. I washed dishes. I worked the fry line. And I thank God for that assignment in my life because it taught me how to work hard. It taught me that nothing in life is free and there's no shortcuts to success. Come on, somebody. And if you want it, you got to work for it. 
And so assignments have changed. I went from frying mullet to working at Pepsi. Like none of that had anything to do with ministry. And then all of a sudden, this opportunity just came out of nowhere. But the purpose in my life had always remained the same. The purpose was to bring glory to God and give him worship and honor. That's your purpose. I think that's our purpose. We complicate it sometimes. Like, you know, we, we, we want more than that. But wherever you are and whatever assignment you have in your life right now, you can do those two things. You can bring glory to God in what you do every single day, and you can bring him honor. And I think as we begin to do that, no matter what your assignment could be, you may not like it right now. But ultimately, if we can be faithful where we are, God will take us to that next step. And one of the things I love to do is teach growth track. And that's the tool that we have here at Upper Room Church to help people really refine in on their purpose. Because I think every person has a gift inside of them, multiple gifts. I went to church for a little while, and, and I, in my mind, spiritual gifts were only for people that, like, preached and sang and maybe wanted to be a missionary or something like that. But God has put gifts inside of you. And so this year, we've seen close to 100 people go through Grove Track. We moved it online. We had it in person here as well. And so we're going to continue to do that. And if you haven't been through Grove Track, I want to encourage you to do it. If you, if you did it at another church before, I would say try it again. Because our gifts change, our assignments change. And at some point, you know, we, we might find ourselves doing one thing and then God will uncover a, a new gift inside of us that, that unlocks what's next in our life. But my dream and my heart is to see a church where every person knows what their gift is, every person knows what their purpose is, and they're, and they're using it. They're engaged, they're, they're doing something with what God has given them. And then here's the last one. We're going we're gonna to pray. I get asked quite a bit, hey, is your church a charismatic church? <laughs> right? The name up a room. It kind of goes, like you, you would think, you know, is, is it a, are you one of them tongue-talking, Holy Ghost rolling, uh, slinging from the, we don't have any, um, we don't have any chandeliers in here, but if we did, we'd swing from them. No, no, but, but I, I, get, I get asked that a lot. Is your church one of those charismatic churches? And it, you know, it depends on your definition of charismatic. Because I, I think charismatic is not a style of church, but it's a church that's been activated in their gifts. That word charismatic, it's two words. Charis means grace gift. It just means grace gift. And then matic means the willingness to use it. And so I get asked that a lot, and I answer yes every time because I hope that our church is a charismatic church. I hope that you know what your gift is, and I hope that you're using that gift. And what I'm seeing is that the more that we begin to do that individually, the more that we begin to walk into the, the purpose and the gifts that God has placed in our life, the more we use those gifts, the more we begin to see God do incredible things in our lives. So I see a church where every person matters. Every person matters. Not everybody is known, right? I can't know everybody, but everybody, somebody knows them. A church where every person is known. A church that knows their purpose. A church that's, that's walking in their purpose. I see a church that has the Father's heart, and you've done that so well. 
But I think that this is more important than any of those things. Because the Bible talks about a day that's, that there's going to come where people are going to have a form of, of religion, the book of Romans, but they have no power. And they go through the motions and they sing the songs and they have the buildings and they, they, they do all the right things, but God's power is not there. And I think what we need more than anything is the power and presence of God in our life. And when it comes to dreaming about the future, is to have this posture of, Lord, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. No matter how good of an opportunity it may seem, no matter how good of a deal it may seem like, Lord, if this is not you leading me to do this or calling me to go there, I don't want to do it. And if we look at the state of the church right now, it's, it's not real, it's, it's, not, it's not super good. Like, like I mean, ch more churches are closing than, than are being opened in the U.S. More people are leaving church than they are coming to church. And the Bible talks about this great falling away. I don't know if that's what we're seeing, but I know I'm talking to other pastors and talking to seeing other denominations, major denominations that are, that are kind of closing and dissolving. It's just not an easy time to be a Christian. It's not an easy time to be a, a, a Christian leader, but it's not e an easy time right now to be a Christian. Just standing for, 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 for biblical truth right now could get you in trouble. Just, just believing, just standing on the, for the word of God right now could, could get you ostracized. But I think it's in moments in history like this that we're experiencing right now where God does his greatest work. And so I see a church, y'all, in the future that's empowered by the presence of God. That's empowered by God. And it's something like this, you know, I, I got to use the only things I know and I like to surf. And y'all, some of y'all like to surf in here and this is just kind of the only illustrations I know how to use. But if you do surf or you've ever tried it, surfers can't make waves. Like some of them can, but they're not the same, okay? Like, let me say, like they're, they're, they're finally making waves now, but they are not the same. It's very different. Surfers don't go out and sit on their surfboard and try to make a wave. They sit and they know how to watch and they check their phones like 24-7 and they, they, they know the weather better than most weathermen and women. Come on, right? Because they're always looking at the data and they're always watching what's going on and they're looking at the winds and they're looking at the models because they know how a wave is made. And when they see a wave is being made, they go to it. They don't try to make waves. They don't try to create them on their own. And what I'm praying and believing God for over the next year is just like a groundswell of his glory that we can't make it, we can't do it on our own. I think so much of frustration in life is trying to make waves when God says, I haven't called you to make waves. I've called you to ride them. I've called you to recognize where I'm moving and I want you to get connected in with what I'm doing, not try to make your own waves. 
And I think we're just going to see that more than we've ever seen it before. Why? Because I, I, we're ripe, I believe, for a great awakening. We're ripe for revival. We're ripe for, for this new wave of God's presence and God's glory. And to me, that's been the central theme since the moment we started Upper Room. I don't think it's been about songs or teaching or preaching and all those things are really, really important. But I, I, my prayer and what I hope keeps happening is that when people come to Upper Room, they, don't, they leave with more than three points in a poem. <laughs> they say, I, I experienced God in that place. Something happened. I came in discouraged, but I just feel like this hope was rising up in my heart. I, I came in depressed, but you know, I feel better. <laughs> that when, when people encounter the presence of God, they don't leave the same. And so my prayer is that over and over and over and over and over as we head into 2023, that these transformational moments will happen in the lives of, of people connected with our church where they encounter this, this, this loving Father. They encounter a God who's greater and more awesome than we could ever imagine. Can you see that? Can you believe for that? And what I love about it is it's not, const it's not con constrained to the four walls of a church that God can go anywhere. <laughs> And he can, he can move in any situation and in any environment. And I believe that's what we're going to see. And that's what I'm believing for. So I want us to do this. I want you to close your eyes and we're going we're gonna to go to God in prayer. And Father, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you that you've been so good to us over the last five years. God, you've blessed us in ways that we can never, ever even see or imagine. I thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for their family and their community. And Lord, we come to you and just ask for, we ask for a move of your spirit, Lord. We're thankful for what's happened in the past. We're thankful for, for moves and waves of your glory in the past. But, Lord, we want to see it for ourselves. God, there's a generation that's longing and crying out for more of you. And it's probably not going to look anything like it looked in the past. But, Lord, help us to recognize this groundswell of your, of your presence and where you're moving. Because we want to be there. We want to go there. And so, Lord, I thank you for a church that's so compassionate, that's reached out beyond the four walls. I thank you for a church that has the Father's heart, that has patience with those who may be self-righteous or religious, but they're also pursuing the prodigal that's running hard away from God. And God, I thank you that this is your church. And you told Peter on that great day that there's going to be a lot of opposition that comes against the church, but the gates of hell will never prevail. And God, what an honor and a privilege it is to be a part of the kingdom of God on this planet and what you're doing. And, and, and God, we just are so in expectancy and anticipation, God, about the future. Because we know the best is yet to come. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.